welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim Ben. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome back to the Right Spokane Perspective. This Wednesday episode, we are visiting the legislature through representative of the 6th District, Jenny Graham. She will be visiting us today after some inspiration from Shannon. We are going to talk about walking by a blessing. In 1799, 12-year-old Conrad Reed found a large glittering rock in the stream that ran through his family's small farm in North Carolina. He carried it home to show his father, a poor immigrant farmer. His father didn't understand the rock's potential value and used it as a doorstop. The family walked by it for years. Eventually, Conrad's rock, actually a 17-pound gold nugget, caught the eye of a local jeweler. Soon, the Reed family became wealthy, and their property became the site of the first major gold strike in the United States. Sometimes we walk past a blessing, intent on our own plans and ways. After Israel was exiled to Babylon for disobeying God, he proclaimed freedom for them once again. But he also reminded them of what they'd missed. I am the Lord your God, he told them, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. God then encouraged them to follow him away from old ways into a new life. Leave Babylon. Announce this with shouts of joy. Leaving Babylon, perhaps now as much as then, means leaving sinful ways behind and coming home to a God who longs to do good for us. If only we'll obey and follow him. Folks, you know the drill. Loving God, there is no one like you. Help us to embrace the opportunity to walk with you and discover the blessings that you have for us daily and that only you alone can provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it seems like we need to embrace opportunities instead of just walking by them. But right now, it seems like we're whistling past the graveyard, almost literally. And we have an opportunity in this state legislative session to protect victims of crime. When we talk about either sin or the things that were going on back in times uh, in Israel, we're looking at some major sins against humanity really in our state going on and the state legislature has an opportunity to fix some of them and I'm going to bring up one that I just brought into the studio today with me it was a local newspaper article man who spent 10 years in prison for 2012 murder back in jail on suspicion of attacking a woman that's right here in Spokane and so we're going to bring representative Jenny Graham into the conversation because she is on the public safety committee welcome to the conversation Jenny. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, Representative Graham, you are on some of those important committees and you've been an activist uh, as as an individual. And now you are taking action as a legislator to try to keep people in Washington safe. What is the legislature doing about that? Well, the the gentleman that you were just talking about, Avondre Graham, committed the murder in 2013. He was released in October of 2022 and was on probation until November of 2024. After he he murdered the first victim. He was caught several months later when he attacked a Gonzaga student running on the Centennial Trail, the 
first victim he murdered when she was walking her dog. He now has new charges against him for harassment, threats to kill, unlawful imprisonment, domestic violence, second-degree assault with sexual motivation. And this, uh, sadly, is the type of individual that the majority party is bending over backwards to release back out back into our neighborhoods again and you can see that this is you know sadly it puts our community members and and families in danger well of course it does And and it seems to me like i'm continually seeing whether it's on spokane news the facebook group or in the local newspapers many of the crimes that are being committed these violent crimes uh, sexual in nature or violent otherwise are being committed by individuals who are already known to be violent characters right and they are they are the worst of the worst so like some of the bills i've been actively trying to bring some common sense into the legislature. There's one House Bill 1087, which for all intents purposes would drastically restrict solitary confinement. And that's definitely not a good idea. This is for the worst of the worst. There was testimony in the very beginning where somebody that uh, mentioned that they would just commit the crime right off the bat so that they couldn't put him in solitary confinement for the rest of the year. We're talking about rapists, murderers, very, very violent people. And the staffing problems that we have will make things even worse. Well, that's a statewide problem, the staffing problem, but it was in the local news that we were short prison guards uh, here locally. And when we look at these statewide state-run prisons where the more dangerous felons are going murderers rapists and things like that for the state government to step in and say well we're not going to let you go ahead and restrain these people and put them in solitary confinement because we don't think that's humane well what about the humanity of the other inmates what about the humanity of the staff working in possibly really dangerous positions because the state isn't allowing that confinement these are people that are in some cases not just out of their mind but extremely violent in ways you would only see in films rated r right it is unbelievable and then there's also another bill that will complicate things which is to take solitary con- or excuse me to take qualified immunity away from law enforcement so now they can personally be sued. The officer does something that's wrong. They can already sue the state. But this is going to open it up for frivolous lawsuits. I brought that up in testimony. So the House Bill 1087 was the confinement bill, but the qualified immunity I know there's probably several bills having to do with that. When you're looking at law enforcement, that could be jail staff, but it's also when an officer is trying to enforce the law and they see uh, someone committing a crime and they tackle them to the ground, they get injured. They could say, well, he didn't have to tackle them even though he was standing there holding the knife. Then you start going into civil cases and insurance that these law enforcement officers have to carry on themselves to where they're personally liable for the road rash of this violent criminal that was wielding a knife threatening someone with right 
Right. And the other thing that I brought up in committee, an important point, there there would be nothing to stop individuals from going up and directly on purpose assaulting officers, trying to get them to react so that they can file frivolous lawsuits. And the other thing that, you know, we pointed out is that law officers can't sue the public. And if they're hurt, they cannot get pain and suffering. So where's the equity there? There is none. Something has has absolutely changed. I mean, should we have training requirements for officers? Absolutely. And it is up to the state to make sure that they are trained. But what is being done? You know, where's the expectation from society? When, when I was growing up in, in Washington state, if you were out in public and you were engaging with police officers, there were certain expectations from you and how you conducted yourself in that situation. And we have, it seems, nothing anymore, no requirements for the public. So maybe it's time if they're going to move this forward to pass a bill that says if you yourself hurt an officer, assault him, kill him or whatever, now you can personally be sued. Now, so where's the, do you, do you have the bill number in front of you on, on uh, one of the bills having to do with qualified immunity? I don't have that one right off. You don't the have the bill, line. but it's yeah. something that, that people can go to the legislative web, website. Ledge.wa.gov. And they can find bills on qualified immunity. You can do searches for bills, word searches. This qualified immunity is a big deal because we see law enforcement's hands already tied in so many different ways. And of course, we're already sending them into dangerous situations that most of society doesn't want to be in. That's why we call 911 and we don't deal with the problems ourselves because we need law enforcement there who have the ability to use restraint or use uh, certain tools to take a situation that's very dangerous and control a suspect who is putting the community in danger. And if they're looking at, they could be sued. I mean, a lot of the reasons why I wouldn't personally want to step in to situations, whether it's domestic violence or a robbery, is because I'm just me. What if something happens and it's not like with CPR, if I see someone that's in distress and I administer CPR, there's good Samaritan laws that protect me from liability. Well, the person was already choking to death. I was just trying to dislodge it. So you don't get sued. Well, now we're taking basically the good Samaritan laws away from our law enforcement and saying, well, yeah, there was a a dangerous person there and it was your job to disable that knife wielding person, but you didn't have to break his finger. It might've been an accident, but now we're personally suing you. Right. But that can also be too, if they're not even on duty, if they're out in the public and they're not actually working, there's a part of that in there as well. But this absolutely has a chilling effect. Washington state is already the very last in the entire nation for police officers per capita. If you pick up the phone to call 911, we have the least amount of officers in the entire nation to answer those calls. That, you know, in itself is concerning. We're losing officers. They are transferring, they're retiring, they're doing everything they can to move out of this job. We don't have the younger people coming in because quite frankly, who wants to do these jobs? Well, and you're looking at at the liability that you carry and the dangerousness of the job. We see the demonization of law enforcement at the local level, at the federal level, by act 
activist groups. And so it, it is hurting recruiting. But it is nice to know, Jenny, that you're over there fighting for your constituents as well as other people's constituents statewide to firm up some of these laws so that law enforcement can again do their job. And of course, Senator Jeff Holy from your district, the 6th District, is also looking for funding to boost personnel statewide when it comes to law enforcement because of those low numbers, uh, in re- not just in recruiting, but also in retaining law enforcement officers across the state. We're going to have to take a break. We're going to be right back again with State Representative Jenny Graham. Don't go anywhere. We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective radio show and podcast programming. We sincerely thank Mike Fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners listeners and guests of the Right Spokane Perspective, and we wish you well in your sabbatical and anticipate hearing from you again in the future. Listeners, it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts, commentary, and alerts on what's happening in local government, politics, and issues affecting us all. Please send your most generous support to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620, Spokane, WA 99207. Thanks again, and back to the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective. Today, we are visiting the legislature through State Representative Ginny Graham, who is fighting to keep us safe in Washington state because there's a lot of bills out there that are almost aiding and abetting criminals, I would have to say, if not uh, doing so exactly. It seems like maybe all of those bills are doing nothing but legislating. It's legislating criminal activity. And and the reason why it's legislating criminal activity is because we're being softer and softer on crime. We see more repeat offenders, as we talked about in the first half. Now they want to make sure that these offenders have better benefits when they're in jail and they don't look at having solitary confinement be a punishment if they're violent and misbehaving in jail as well. Uh, So we went off into the break and I I wanted to bring up uh, Senator Holy looking at funding to boost personnel statewide. What is been your discussion between the Senate and the House looking at the law enforcement levels? Because we're looking at, like you said, the lowest numbers in the country of officers per thousand residents. Well, obviously, you know, we we definitely do have a lot of conversation that's going on. The other chilling part of this that we were talking about is they're having to lower their standards for, for who they're recruiting to become officers. Because if you're somebody that, you know, would be highly sought after, you're going to have the ability to get a different job where it's going to be less dangerous and you're going to be, you're not going to have to worry about being personally sued per se. So that's an issue. Um, We do need the training. So there's support on uh, in both the House and the Senate for that. We also have, again, bipartisan support to fix the vehicle pursuit situation. However, Senator Dingra is... Looks like she's the head of a committee and she's not going to allow that bill to be heard because she doesn't want law enforcement pursuing people fleeing. But we're looking at thousands and thousands of people who have not pulled over for police that, that we didn't used to have. And, and so now we're just right. aiding and abetting criminals, basically saying, well, if you don't pull over, the police can't do anything about it because their threshold under the law is a supervisor's permission. Plus, they can't just have reasonable suspicion. They actually have to have probable cause. Right. That particular situation there, she was citing a study that was done that said that this, when they pass these bad policy bills, that it reduced innocent individuals being killed by 70 to 73 percent, depending on which 
one you read, but that was proven to be false. And it was very frustrating to have the woman that did that report actually in our committee telling us this when it was completely debunked by a Democrat, Alicia Rule. She's a professor. She was able to get a hold of a top statistician and they went through it. They ended up having to take it down. So that that part of it is very frustrating because while there may be criminals that are not not as many of them are dying from the bad decisions that they're making and not stopping when they're asked to stop. Well, of course, it's safer for criminals if they don't get arrested and they're running from law enforcement. If, if we just don't do enforce laws at all, of course, it's safer for criminals. It's just not safer for the community. And when they come into legislative hearings like this and they use propaganda because that's what disinformation or fake statistics is, when you're in front of a committee in the legislature, you're lying to the legislators saying, look, it keeps the community safer if we don't enforce the law the way we traditionally have. And so now we've got all these people running from the law and how many victims are there down the road because these people are not investigated. They are not, you know, pulled over. They're not booked into jail. Who knows it? Do they have fentanyl in their car? Did they kidnap someone? How many different reasons would an officer have to pursue someone? And and oftentimes we find violent criminals that have warrants for their arrest that the police are already looking for through basic traffic stops. But if they run, there is no stop. Right. Well, it's worse than that. The the average Joe deaths that are happening on our roadways have drastically increase. You have these individuals that even though they might not be running from the police as far as a pursuit, it is not stopping them from driving recklessly on our roads, going very fast. They can hit other vehicles. So many people I'm sure are probably noticing all of the cars that are being stolen. The criminals are stealing cars. They're taking license plates and switching those plates. So even if you take a picture of that plate on that car, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, the person that actually did it. Um, so you may or may not end up catching that person. Well, because criminals they, aren't dumb. They know that Olympia is in session and they're legislating lawlessness, not legislating things into accountability to where there's actually going to be repercussions for their actions. Well, and of course, right. we didn't used well, to have a record of people fleeing law enforcement successfully. Typically law enforcement, uh, and I've, I've been on police ride-along and police have technology that they use to keep the community safe. And, and actually, I was in a situation where there was a knife-wielding man acting crazy. And what law enforcement did was they called backup, which we don't have enough backup now because we don't have enough law enforcement. In Washington State, we're below that 2.4 officers per 100,000 residents. Now, folks, that's a scary number to me. 2.4 officers per 100,000 is the national average. If you go back 10 years, add another officer to that because we've seen that national average drop and we're even below that average here in Washington. So the officers will surround a, a situation to try to eliminate the dangers and hazards to the rest of the community. And I've got Washington State Police Pursuits here. It was actually in a spokesman review article from the Washington State Police. Back in 2014, there was less than a thousand pursuits in Washington State. Now, looking at 2020, the increase in crime, there was like 16, 1700 pursuits. Then you go to 2021 after they said, well, we're not going to pursue anymore. You actually had almost a thousand people that fled 
fled from under uh, just under a thousand pursuits. So they're fleeing as much as they're pulling over in 2021. In 2022, the criminals got wise to this and there was way more fleas. We're talking to 3,700 people fleeing from pursuits. So that number's not looking good, Jenny. What What's the legislature doing about it? Well... <laughs> I know you're in the minority. I'm not asking for fighting for common sense and we're introducing, you know, common sense bills. But uh, again, there's another one by a representative street that would make it so that officers can no longer pull somebody over for a non-moving violation. So that means that if you have a taillight out, if you are missing a bumper, if your windshield is gone, they're not going to be able to pull you over. Now, Jenny, I've got this is a personal peeve of mine to some extent because we have really bright headlights these days, right? It used to be criminal, not criminal, but a moving violation to drive with your brights on. And I do a lot of travel, especially in the winter. A lot of it's at night because we have less daylight hours. People just don't seem to care that their brights are on. They're blinding people and could cause a a traffic accident. And I'm thinking we need more officers to get people to pay attention to basic safety issues like that. Uh, And so we have this legislature that wants to bring up bills that says no officers can't pull people over for a a broken out taillight or a missing license plate or things like that. When that's actually the precise thing we want officers to do because they can't catch the criminals in the act all the time. But what they can do is when they're looking for someone that a lot of criminals are not smart. People drink and drive. The reason why the taillight's out is because they backed into somebody's vehicle leaving the bar. That's how they end up finding the drunk driver and pulling them over. It's not always because they're swerving or crash into the ditch. You want the officers to prevent victims. And it doesn't seem like the legislature understands that, Jenny. Well, right. That was one of the things that we pointed out that they had mentioned if you, if you were abducted you know, you were in the trunk to kick out the taillight and you could possibly put something, piece of cloth or something out to try to get somebody's attention. They wouldn't be able to pull them over at that point because they don't have probable cause for anything. It's- well, well, it's not even just probable cause. So you're lo- lo- talking about a kidnapping situation and just basic law enforcement functionality, the purpose of pulling the person over. And th- these things get thrown out of court all the time because they say, oh, well, he was swerving. We'll prove he was swerving. You know, so you didn't, you didn't have reason to pull my client over, their attorney will say. And so you have people that are habitual drunk drivers that put people's lives at risk. The death rate on our roads is at all-time highs and it's because of cell phone use drug abuse and alcohol and if law enforcement doesn't have methods to pull these people over and enforce some kind of penalty through the courts and the legal system we're looking at public safety continuing to decline in washington state if those types of bills pass what's the likeliness that a bill would pass to stop police officers from pulling people over if they have busted out taillights because that's, that's a safety hazard. If you're driving at night, then you got another person that ends up rear-ending you because you don't have operational lighting on your vehicle. Now you're putting people at risk, and that person's also going to be liable for the accident because you just said that it's legal to have taillights out. Right. Yeah, that we asked about headlights, too. It depends on how much pressure the community puts on the majority party. There are 48 Democrats in the House, or excuse me, 58, 
And there are 40, 40 uh, Republicans. So the Democrats are in control at this point in time. And, and one of the ways that people can, they can contact their personal legislators. And, and just remember, folks, you're contacting a legislator. They're one of 147 individuals that get to vote on these bills. So don't attack them personally, but contact your legislators and urge them how you would like them to vote on these types of bills. Do we have a bill number on that one with the uh, stopping law enforcement on taillight and headlight issue? The number I don't remember off my head. It is a representative street bill, though. I can get back with you two with those with those numbers. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I, there's been well over a thousand bills that <laughs> introduced. Well, and that's all these bill numbers floating around in my head. It's amazing how many bills get filed. Some of them are repetitive because there's bills that are similar to them going through the legislature. At the end of the day, most legislative cycles, you see about 300 of the 1,500 bills or 3,000 bills that get proposed throughout the session. And this is your long session with the big budget items. Uh, so you're going to be there 105 days, right? Yes, sir. And so when we look at all this crime stuff, I I know that there's more that you'd like to talk about there because the seriousness of crime, but they're also in the legislature trying to criminalize more people. It seems like, and in fact, I was at a neighborhood council meeting the other day and I was talking to one of our local law enforcement officers about how we've kept crime low in our neighborhood. And that's because we walk softly and carry a big stick and the big stick is obvious, right? In my neighborhood, right? And we walk our dogs, we, we pay attention to things and we do some what he called community policing. I won't tell everyone exactly how we do that but it's good to do that kind of community policing and i told him i said you know i think that at this point in time officers have more ability to arrest a law-abiding citizen politically than they do the criminal and so now we hear about bills that are being put forward that if you do some multiplication i think it might be 666 but i think it's 1333 yes that's what i'm calling the ministry of truth bill at the state level and it's establishing the domestic violent extremism commission Domestic violence extremist, uh, okay, I'm going to try to put this word salad together. Domestic violence extremist commission? Extremism. Extremism commission? Commission. Okay, so domestic violence, of course, we know is a problem that we need to address in law enforcement and judicial system. But what about the extremism? I don't see how that goes together with domestic violence. Well, this is, they're, they're talking about criminalizing misinformation and disinformation, and that is however the state defines it. So, so now, we, we now have a ministry of truth, like you said, at the state level, if they pass House Bill 1333, because now you'll have state bureaucracy. Does this bill set up a whole entire state bureaucracy on deciding what part of the First Amendment we're able to utilize? You know, because disinformation, if you talk about, you know, God, or, you know, some mystical power in the sky and you pray in public. I mean, I don't know. We better research Daniel on this one, I think, is what we have to do. What's, what kind of committee hearings have you had on that one? This one, I'm not sure where it's at in the process. It hasn't come through any of my committees, so... I'm not sure if, if, it, if it's gone through a different committee or if it hasn't been pulled because there's lots of bills that have been dropped, but that doesn't mean that they've been pulled up for a hearing. Right. When's so, cut off for all these bills? When do they have to make it through the process before they just have to get pushed off till the next legislative session? I believe that it's the 17th of this month. Oh, okay. All right. So that is coming up here really shortly then. So when we look at bills like this, to me, it's, it's amazing that we even have a bill like this, the 
Ministry of Truth, the disinformation bill in House Bill 1333 here in Washington State, because I would say that over the course of the last couple of years, biggest source of disinformation has been our own state government when they're talking about the efficacy of vaccines and things of that nature. Yes, that is true. And the state health department, Dr. Shaw, was in the health care and wellness committee, which I'm also on. And that topic did come up. They were mentioning misinformation and disinformation regarding the vaccines. And I did ask what was being done to help any individuals that have had adverse reactions from the COVID-19 vaccines or boosters or deaths. And I didn't get an answer. And I'd also asked if they were going to be watching the DC hearings. And they said, yeah, but they probably wouldn't be able to watch all of them. Now, what's interesting is the CDC has now added these vaccines to the vaccine schedules for our yeah, kids. Yeah, childhood, we covered that this last week on the show. And it's not just one for the kids, it's multiple shots from, and it's not like school-age children. It's, we didn't cover all the stuff for the school age. It was from birth to 15 months old. They're going to have multiple shots and a booster uh, in their first 15 months of life. When at the very same time, it was just published in the news that Dr. Fauci talked about the problems with the vaccine and that they weren't effective. And so he said that we need more effective vaccines, that these ones aren't working. Well, if they're not working and their their efficacy is way less than what was advertised, because you can still get it, still spread it, all that other stuff that we've talked about over the last uh, months. Why are we going to put that on the schedule for the schools to mandate for kids? Well, Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, she's put out a couple of statements and there have been D.C. hearings that have been going on and they were asked about that. And basically what they were saying was this would give protections, I believe, for VAERS if I understood that correctly. But here's the concern that I have been bringing up and most vociferously is that with the Federal PrEP Act, you can't sue anybody. And if you stop and think about what happens with VAERS, if it's your child, you have to prove that it was that that it happened with and there's only so much money. So right. if you, your child ends up being very seriously injured, which I've seen video of this families talking about their experiences, there's no help that's set up at the state level or the federal level, and it's not easy to get any sort of help. So why would we do this when the kids are more at risk of accidental drowning or dying in a car accident than they are from this? It seems insane to me that the state and the federal government would move forward with those things. But unfortunately, we are out of time today. So folks, I want to thank Jenny Graham again today coming on. We may extend this program to podcast, but for now, it's the end of our radio broadcast. We will be back with you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.